Hey everybody, uh, we're going to look at the first 14 verses of John 14. So we're going to jump right in. Here's the first one. Verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. This is one heck of a way to start a teaching. Don't be troubled. Don't be upset. And honestly, there's this like cynical voice inside of me that says, you know, like, I sure would like to follow that. In fact, I've, I've been working pretty hard to not be troubled, but it turns out the world is pretty troubling and that's where I live and it's all like profoundly troubling. Um, but remember, this is the beginning of his teaching. And keep in mind, as he says this, he is preparing for his own arrest and execution. Jesus knows the world is troubling. And this sort of big, big chunk of teaching actually wraps up at the end of chapter 16 with these words, verse 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So just because the world is troubling doesn't mean you have to be troubled. Um, so let's start looking at how Jesus says that can actually be. Verse two, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Okay, so what does this mean? Uh, two, two things. Uh, the first and the most obvious is that this life isn't all that there is. Um, there is the promise of heaven. And we could, we could really say that there are two kinds of people in this world, the ones who believe in an afterlife and the ones who don't. And the way you cope with this world is dramatically different depending on which of those two groups you're in. Now, there's nothing new about any of that for the disciples though. They had always believed in heaven. But we could also say that there are two kinds of people who believe in heaven. You've got the ones who know that they're going there and you have the ones who only hope that they are. Um, what's new for the disciples is the assurance. Because Jesus says, plain as day, there is a heaven and I'm about to go set it up for you. And it's done. It's already been decided. Um, we we humans have a, like a fundamental dread, you know, death is coming for us all, but um, that's for those who don't know what death holds for them. But for disciples of Jesus, death is a doorway into eternal joy, and that's, that's nothing to dread. Um, and so there's, there's, there's no mention of heaven being available for these men um, if they do a great job establishing the church in the next few decades, or if they don't screw up too much along the way, or if they nail down all their right theology before they die, or any of that. He is clear. There's no room for an if. There are no conditions therein. Here's what I'm saying. If you want to not be troubled in a troubling world, start by accepting the grace of God and believing that you're actually his child, and he's not going to take it away. Okay, back to the text. Verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. I love this interjection. Um, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. 
From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Now, what's happening here is the disciples are starting to push back against the, like, the abstraction of all of this. Um, they're, they're, they're pushing back against the inherent like fuzziness of what Jesus is saying. It's all a little bit otherworldly for them. So, so Philip interjects and says, you know, like we don't really know, I guess it was Thomas, wasn't it? We don't really know what heaven is or how we're supposed to get there. So why don't you just show it to us? Like why don't you just make it really simple for us and really clear? Or, um, you know, Philip then jumps in and says, well, how about you just show us the Father, like plainly, make it really clear, and then we'll be good. We'll be fine with that. Now, I, I, I'll tell you right now, y'all, like, I get this. These questions make sense to me. Um, I, I regularly pray prayers that, if I'm honest, they just boil down to this. Um, Lord, can you, just, can you just take out some of the mystery? <laughs> like, can you make this stuff less like otherworldly and heebie-jeebie super spiritual? Can you just reveal yourself and make it unmistakable for once? Like, why wouldn't you just do that? Um, but folks, that kind of misses the obvious. Um, the reason why this stuff feels otherworldly to us is because it's otherworldly. Like, that's the hope. Um, there's, there's something out there that's not like this. There's something in the next life that doesn't translate into this one because it's so different. And I've said this before, you don't want a God who could be fully displayed in the midst of this broken world. You, you want a God whose glory cannot be contained by our simple little minds that cannot be taken in by our limited sight. Like, I, I don't think we realize what we're asking for um, when we ask for stuff like that, but they do. And, and Jesus's response is so, so kind um, and so helpful. Uh, he, he essentially says, um, trust what you know of our relationship, what you know of me. Trust that what you have experienced of me is real and it's valid. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father and you're like asking for a portal into the next life. You're asking for what can only be glimpsed in this world. And the thing is, you'll get the glimpses, but if you want something to hold on to, Jesus is saying, hold on to me. Now listen, of course, we want heaven now, okay? But it's not now. And hear me on this, Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. And you have him now. 
If you want to not be troubled in a troubling world, then accept Jesus' invitation to walk with him as his apprentice all day, every day. And I'm telling you, you'll do more than cope. You'll touch heaven. You will glimpse the unknowable. And believe me when I tell you, you will be at peace. Okay, uh, last three verses for the day. Say this, verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. All right, so uh, there are two like enormous ideas, like huge, there are 10 sermons, okay, but I'm gonna be done in like, three minutes. So stay with me. Um, the first idea is this like bonkers notion that somehow we are going to do the stuff that Jesus did and even more. Now to that in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and it will become clear um, that this isn't about us having more power than God or Jesus. This is about God working through all of us the way he did through Jesus. Um, so keep coming to church and you'll hear more about that. The second idea is that we can ask for anything in his name and he'll give it to us. Now, um, lots of people, lots of people really confused by this and understandably so um, because this is actually a pretty easy thing to test out and I'm betting, you've, I'm betting that you've given it a shot and I'm betting also that you didn't get everything you asked for. But think about it. What does it mean to ask for something in someone else's name. Think about it. Uh, for an example here, let's, let's say that on a Sunday that we're actually able to meet together, um, my kids hear about donuts backstage. And so they slip back there and they say, hey, my dad's the pastor, can I have a donut? In that case, obviously, think about it, they're asking in my name. Now, if I've said that they can do that, then great. But if I've said, no, that's for the band and it's not for you, then they'll actually be using my name in vain. Now, guys, <laughs> if we could get whatever we wanted by just adding in Jesus' name to a prayer, we would literally ruin the whole world in a matter of minutes. All right, think about that for a minute and you'll agree. Um, Asking in his name means asking in accordance with his will. Um, what Jesus is saying is actually quite different than how this is usually understood. He's saying, like, go ahead and feel free to ask for anything, and don't worry. If it's not in my will, I'll say no. And whether we understand that or not, um, that's actually really good news. Um, I'll tell you something, in my uh, daily prayer times, I have a, a routine. Um, as I pray, I imagine like a small pile building next to me, and it's, it's a pile of, of wheat and chaff. And if you're not familiar with that reference, it's a, it's a pile of the good stuff and waste. Um, and as my prayers are that pile, and some of it's wheat and some of it's waste. And... When I end my prayer, um, I hold up my hands as if holding the pile of those prayers. And then I say deliberately, in Jesus' name. And in that moment, I ask the Lord 
to blow away the shaft, the waste, until the only thing that's left uh, in my hands is what is in his will. And then I offer that to him as my prayer. That's what it means to pray in his name. Thing is, you know, when I prayed that stuff, the shaft all seemed great to me. The waste, it all seemed great to me. Um, but I don't know any better. And if I understand like even the first thing about God or even the first thing about myself, then I know that I will only want what he wants. Praying in his name is not a trick to get what I want. It's an act of surrender. It's saying, God, please don't give me what you don't want for me. So um, let's review three things if we would like to not be troubled in a troubling world, number one, accept the grace of God. If you're his child, then believe his promises, believe that you are redeemed, believe that you are his forever and that he's not taking it away. Number two, accept Jesus's invitation to walk with him every day. Guys, again, Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven, and you can have that now. He will walk with you in the midst of all the disaster and the catastrophe and the resident evil that plagues this world, and he will give you peace. And number three, pray freely. Ask without fear. Ask for it all, and he'll sort it out. He'll keep what's worth keeping, and with a breath of kindness, he'll blow the rest away. Man, I love you guys so much. Uh, I want this all for you so much and the peace that comes with it. So Lord, let it be. Amen.